This is Epicenter, episode 294 with guest Rob Dawson. This episode of Epicenter is brought to you by Trail of Bits. Don't leave your project's security audit to just any firm. Trust a team with decades of experience at the forefront of blockchain security research. Go to trailofbits.com to learn more. And by Microsoft Azure. Do you have an idea for a blockchain app but are worried about the time and cost it will take to develop? The new Azure Blockchain Dev Kit is a free download that brings together the tools you need to get your first app running in less than 30 minutes. Learn more at aka.ms slash epicenter. Hi, welcome to Epicenter. My name is Sebastien Couture, and today my guest is Rob Dawson. Rob is the product lead at Pegasus, and Pegasus is uh, the, the protocol engineering spoke at Consensus. And what they're building is an enterprise-grade Ethereum client called Pantheon. And it's enterprise-grade for a couple of reasons. One, it's built on Java, which is uh, the preferred language for many enterprise uh, companies out there. And also, it offers a number of uh, performance improvements over some of the other Ethereum clients, uh, which enterprise are obviously interested in. And so Pantheon has built a um, has built in a number of uh, features that are interesting for consortium networks. So um, on the permission side, so Pantheon has uh, a whole stack of technologies that allows for consortium networks to build permissions into the network um, on privacy as well for uh, doing shielded transactions and also on the uh, consensus side uh, by implementing IBFT, which is a consensus algorithm that works best in permission networks. And Pantheon is also mainnet compatible, so it works perfectly well on mainnet. In fact, I think there's a couple of Pantheon nodes uh, operating on mainnet. So the idea here is really to bridge the gap between the uh, permissioned blockchain space uh, where enterprise are mostly focusing at the moment and you know slowly you know, bringing those companies closer and closer to onboarding mainnet. So it was a fascinating discussion and we got to talk to uh, I got to talk to Rob about the client but also some of the work that they're doing on the protocol engineering side and the work towards Ethereum 2.0. So with that, here's my interview with Rob Dawson. Hi, so I'm here with Rob Dawson. Rob is head of product at Pegasus, and Pegasus is the protocol engineering group within Consensus, and their role is to build uh, the protocol, and so they're building an Ethereum client uh, within Consensus, an Ethereum client that's actually targeted to enterprise. Hi, Rob, thanks for joining me. Hey, it's a pleasure. So let's start off by looking a bit at your background and how you got involved in this space. Yeah, sure. So I guess I've been uh, building software since uh, last millennium, uh, using probably a mix of uh, Java, Ruby, JavaScript, building uh, enterprise software, and then also working with startups. I also took a bit of a bit of a uh, time out for a while doing a research masters into uh, information security, and so looking at uh, secure protocols and and that kind of stuff and had a had have had a real interest in that sort of security side of things and crypto 
to me, I'm, I'm old school enough that crypto doesn't actually mean cryptocurrencies. Crypto means cryptography and, and real crypto. Um, and so I guess I've been sort of doing that mix of building software and being interested in uh, information security and crypto for a number of years. Uh, and so more recently, uh, got had uh, someone that I'd worked with before joined the, the good ship Pegasus uh, in consensus. Uh, they reached out to me. That was kind of early in the, the formation of Pegasus and talked to me about it. I had not been uh, drinking too deeply from the fire hose of crypto, cryptocurrencies uh, at that point in time. And so really dug deep and, uh, you know, wrapped my head around uh, how Merkle trees were working and all the all the sort of foundational stuff between behind blockchain and, and yeah, got excited for the potential of what the technology can do and uh, joined and have been loving it. So you're saying that cryptocurrencies are not real crypto? Yeah, you know, they're crypto, but uh, real crypto is cryptography, which is, you know, that's what you should be talking about when you talk about crypto. Sure, of course. You know, obviously cryptocurrencies use cryptography. I think that's why people call them cryptos. Yeah. But um, jokes aside, I'll, I'll like, that. Lo looking at it from a security perspective, you know, when you came into this space after, I, I believe you have a background sort of working in enterprise and, and building enterprise software, what are some of the things that maybe pleasantly surprised you about how the community was building software and, or were there things where you just kind of face palmed and were like, what's going on here? How are people, what are, how are people working? Yeah. So it's, you know, the, the open source sort of nature of everything was, was really, really great to see. And I think that's probably the, the first part, the, the fact that when you look at Ethereum in particular, uh, the, the core devs that are there, which, you know, it's not like a secret society. It's a, a pretty open core devs network where you can reach out and be a part of this community and be able to contribute so easily is, is pretty amazing. On the, the flip side, some of the face palmy sort of stuff might be, sometimes it feels a little bit like the Wild West still um, in terms of uh, building robust, uh, robust software. Uh, I think there's, there's been projects which their their CI uh, sort of being read has been something that, you know, failing CI for me as an enterprise dev and just as a, a product focused dev feels like as soon as you see a bill being read, that's that's like warning bells, go change it, fix it, make sure that it's passing its tests, make sure that it's it's working right. Um, whereas I've seen clients and, and software that that has been in a that sort of red state for, for months at a time. Okay. Sorry, what's CI? Continuous integration. Oh, okay. So some of the, the 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 things and basic things that you as a as a software dev and experienced enterprise dev you expect there to be there. So making sure that there's a good automated test suite that's making sure that the code does what it's meant to do. If someone changes something and behavior and it and it's going to break things, you actually get told and, and find out. So I think elements of that are there, but it's not as not as robust as as would make me really excited. Okay. Why do you think that that's not there? I mean, if those are sort of like, you know, already established things that people build into their, their software building process. I think parts of it, are the, the ecosystem being driven by research and being like people that are excited about the possibilities of technology. And so moving quickly from a proof of concept to it's actually being used. And so 
it's it's I think some of it's just the I guess the maturity of the ecosystem. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. How how did you get involved at Consensus? It's definitely just a, it was a referral. So I knew someone who'd who'd worked who was working here. They they said come along and uh, took a bit of a took a bit of a look. I, I really was not looking to to change what I was doing, but uh, I'm glad I did. Okay. And so a couple of months ago, we had Joe Lubin on, and this was, I guess, in, in the middle of this moment where a lot of companies were downsizing and consensus was also downsizing. You know, have you guys felt that within your spoke and sort of broadly in the organization? How do you, how do you see the organization changing over the last few months? Yep. So uh, I guess in terms of our spoke, uh, we were... Uh, fortunate, I guess, that we weren't directly impacted. Um, I know have have known a number of people that uh, are no longer at Consensus, and uh, it's a shame that they they aren't. But I think overall, for Consensus, it's been been a good move. Um, I think it's sort of allowed to be. I don't know the the corporate corporate background of me says tightening of belts and and all those sorts of those sorts of glib statements, but it, it is a little bit of that, and so I think. Helping to, to focus on on being a almost a bit more of a grown up company, while while still keeping that uh, a lot of the uh, great experiments that, that Joe's always uh, had had there. So the the decentralization of the organization is still feels that roots very strongly. Moving now to Pegasus, what's the high level goal of this uh, this spoke? There's a um, vision and mission which really boils down to the idea of making sure that we remove the friction in in having transactions happen. And so the way you're going to do that in Ethereum, and that's being a part of Pegasus, that's and being a part of consensus, that's where our natural sort of effort is is going to be focused is around Ethereum, is making sure that you've got a really top class Ethereum client. And so that's uh, making sure that it's available to be used by everyone, giving it an open source license. So we're an Apache 2 licensed uh, piece of software. So making sure that that's easy for enterprises and anyone to be able to use, making sure that it's uh, really high quality enterprise grade software. And so it's got that, uh, the continuous integration sort of backing it. It's got the, the tests that are happening to, to help give us the confidence that the protocol, that the client is, is of the right standard and of the right quality. Um, and then adding in some of the uh, enterprise features that are important for, for consortiums and for uh, those private kind of networks to be able to use, while also uh, giving them that path to using mainnet, because I think the Ethereum mainnet is the, the future, be it the current Ethereum mainnet or Ethereum 2.0 mainnet, that's, that's the future. And so I think uh, we see... Uh, building out the capabilities for our clients and our software to to work well in both that enterprise context and then the the mainnet context as well. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll get to that as the show progresses. Uh, but staying uh, on on Pegasus a little bit, what what is your role sort of in the broader consensus community and also in the Ethereum space? What are your interactions with you know, other teams and other client teams and protocol engineering teams out there? Yep. So we, in terms of the consensus context, we work uh, closely with a bunch of the the other spokes to to make sure that we're both building the the client and then any enterprise features that we're building 
that they fit in with the rest of the consensus kind of tool chain. And so places, groups like Alethio, um, Infura, we work really closely with. We um, are working with uh, Kaleido as well for that sort of enterprise uh, hosted hosted version. We sort of have done, done work with uh, Truffle to make sure that we work well with Truffle as well. And so it's kind of working and partnering with the, the rest of the parts of consensus to make sure that we're delivering the best client possible. With the community, there's a, a few different spots where we, we really see it sort of uh, flesh out. And so we're a part of the core devs calls. And so we've got, uh, I don't personally get to go to many of them because they're in the middle of the night for me. But uh, we've got one of our guys, uh, Dano, um, is, is regularly on the, the core devs calls helping to, to work together with the, the other core developers to ensure that we're taking the Ethereum clients forward in a con sort of uh, consolidated fashion. So making sure that we keep the beautiful decentralized parts of Ethereum really strong, while also helping to, to push forward and ensure that the, the protocol does grow to be the, the great protocol it wants to be. Okay. Um, and then uh, the, the last part then on the community is getting involved with the Ethereum research. And we've got a, a very active team uh, working with the, actually two active teams working with the Ethereum 2.0 sort of research efforts. So one of the teams is, is very much on the sort of more sort of future theoretical kind of side. And then another team is actually building out uh, some of the early proof of set concept clients to help make sure that we're actually uh, delivering on Ethereum 2.0, that it doesn't just become a, a more academic exercise, but that, that it's actually shipping real working software that, that people are able to use. Would you say that within consensus, uh, there's this push to get the, the quality of all the different software coming out of all the different spokes at, at this, this enterprise grade uh, quality? And, and is Pegasus pushing that? Is, is it coming from Pegasus or is it coming sort of from top down uh, and being brought on to every spoke? It's a good question. I think there are quite a number of spokes that are really, really pushing hard. So it sort of depends on where a spoke's at in its, in its uh, life cycle, I guess. So there's a number of spokes that are at that spot where they're getting that, that product market fit and are seeing that their product market is actually very much in that enterprise space. And so for those spokes, actually really focusing on the quality is, is really important. There's other spokes where being able to innovate really rapidly is the key thing for them at the moment. And so for them, maybe sometimes there's that, that trade-off between let's write another test versus let's try out this new idea. They might lean more towards trying out the new idea. And then with regards to your interaction with other uh, teams and so for example like the Geth client team or the the parity client team you know coming from this background of enterprise and also you know working with enterprise building this client how have your interactions been with their with those other teams do you do you see that there's a high level of desire also on their part to you know build a more robust client like build tools that are enterprise ready or are you seeing that they're more you know, looking at it from the research side and maybe not building in this continuous integration that you mentioned. How would you describe the, the interactions with the other teams on this front? It's been really great working with the Geth and Parity teams. Uh, they're a bunch of really smart people and uh, it's been really amazing being able to 
see the ideas that they're trying and be able to work alongside them to, to help uh, work things out. On the mainnet front, they still very much are the leaders in, in that space. And we're, we're working our hardest to, to catch up. And it's, it's hard because they've actually done a bunch of really interesting things to make sure that they can make their clients uh, go really fast and are tuned for the mainnet world. And so in a mainnet space where we're working hard and uh, I think we're, we're catching up, but they are really smart people and it's great to work with them. Let's talk about security. You know, dApps are pretty unique because unlike other types of software, they can hold astronomical amounts of value. That's why getting systems audited, creating robust security processes, and fostering a culture of security in your organization is so important. And to do this, you should only trust experts with real security expertise. There are a lot of security firms in the blockchain space, but few have the experience and track record of Trail of Bits. And they've been in business since 2012, long before things like the DAO hack were even imaginable. Trail of Bits works with your team to audit every aspect of your project. And smart contract code is just the beginning. They'll help you implement best practices around things like DevOps, key storage, and user-facing applications. And once your software has been rigorously tested and reviewed by Trail of Bits, they'll provide the tools you need to make sure that your code remains safe over every new commit. They can even put a software security expert at your team's disposal who'll give you advice and answer your questions when you need them. It's like having your own security engineer on staff, but don't take my word for it. Go to their publications repo on GitHub to read their papers, presentations, and security reviews. It's no wonder teams like Parity, Status, NewCypher, and organizations like Facebook and DARPA trust Trail of Bits for their security audits. To learn more, go to trailofbits.com, and if you decide to reach out, make sure you let them know you heard about them on Epicenter. We'd like to thank Trail of Bits for their support. Let's move on then to, to Pegasus, the, the main product that's being built by Pantheon. Why did you decide to build another Ethereum client? Uh, why, why not just use Geth and Parity or maybe branch off of Geth and Parity? Uh, what was the desire here? It's really important for, for Pegasus to build Pantheon um, because it really gives us control over the, the client. Uh, we'd looked at some other efforts that have been made to produce uh, more enterprise-focused clients that were branching off Geth and Parity and uh, saw a lot of the, the pain that ended up happening in having to maintain that fork. Um, being able to maintain a fork of any open source project is, is non-trivial. And to be able to add in some of the enterprise features, uh, in particular privacy, uh, requires enough deep changes to the the client that maintaining that fork is is non-trivial. So that's one of the one of the aspects. The other is uh, being able to offer enterprises a a client with an enterprise friendly license is is really important. And so uh, the LGPL and GPL still uh, raise flags for a lot of uh, enterprises. And so we've got an Apache two licensed client, and that that really makes a difference. Can you talk about why this license is problematic for enterprise and why Apache, because uh, I know that also Hyperledger uh, built everything on Apache for that exact reason. So it's, I'm, I'm not an open source uh, guru, so probably not the best person to, to answer that. Uh, you should have a conversation at some time with uh, Jim Jag Jagowski. Um, so he's, he's at Consensus as well and was, was formerly at the uh, Apache Foundation. And so he's got a, a really clear uh, 
ways of being able to articulate why why Apache Two matters. Essentially, it's the it comes down to the the fears around the viral nature of the the GPL sort of license. And so, once you've uh, have something that's uh, using GPL licensed code, the uh, your code then also needs to be GPL licensed. And so, it's organizations being afraid of, afraid of that. Um, whether or not those fears are, are valid and whether whether or not how that, that really plays out. It hasn't been tested in the legal system and I'm not a lawyer and I don't know how it would pan out, but it's, it's just one of those things where if you do have the choice between, for a lot of organizations, if you have the choice between, and particularly, I guess, for developers in an organization, if you have the choice between something that's Apache 2 and you can just use, versus something that's LGPL or GPL, and you have to go through the legal team of your organization to get approval to use it, you're going to go to the Apache 2. It's just going to be so much easier. And so given that we wanted to have a client that was easy for enterprises to pick up with, having that Apache 2 was was one of the parts of that decision making. Okay, that makes sense. So in, in the GPL license, these, these open source licenses, I guess, force uh, users of those software to also open source the things that they built with it. Uh, whereas Apache, you can use this, op- you can use this open source software, but it can be closed source within your organization. You know, you don't have to go and open source it yourself. So it, it, it protects, I guess, companies and enterprise, uh, and protects their IP and sort of their business because that software doesn't ne- itself need to be open source. Right. Well put. Okay. So wh- why is it that enterprise predominantly work in Java? So I think it's, it's a lot of it's the historical reasons. And so you've got uh, the, the DevOps, the sysadmin teams are going to want to uh, maintain systems that they're familiar with, with, that they're comfortable with, that they know, here's the way that I make it go fast. Here's the ways that I need to, to think about the, the maintenance of the systems. Here's how our, our suite of systems all work. And so having that uh, consistent infrastructure, I think really helps those, those sorts of groups. And within the Java sort of world, it's often actually uh, the JVM is, is sort of the, the thing that's there. And so whether you use Java, Scala, Kotlin, whatever kind of cool language you want to use, it's, it's all compiling to that JVM sort of bytecode and, and works in a consistent way. So if you've got a company that's using Java, how do you get them to start using Ethereum? Yep, so I think it's starting with the idea of the distributed ledger. And so, hey, you've got this immutable data structure that you can use. And uh, I actually led a a bunch of workshops uh, just a couple of weeks ago in San Francisco, getting people to help think about it. And it sort of started through, we would go through and teach people a little bit about blockchain, a little bit about uh, what some of the, the properties of a blockchain are, and then think about how how this is going to be working with maybe the consortiums with the companies and other people that they work with starts to, to give that here's why blockchain matters. And then you can talk about Ethereum because it's the programmable blockchain. It's got the, uh, the solidity is kind of there. There's this community around it. There's all the tools that, that are there to help make it work. Then you can talk about Pantheon being a part of that and being able to run that in your Java sort of world and make that fit in really well with you there. And so there's this kind of nice sort of arc that fits in well for a, for an enterprise there. Okay. And so in my experience, in the time that I spent working with enterprise and trying to convince 
big companies to start using blockchain, et cetera. So it would have been 2016 to 20, late 2017, 2018. There were companies were not at all or very little, at least thinking about being, you know, using mainnet and using public chains. A lot of companies were looking at implementing permission chains and building consortia, like all of this, what seems very complicated now, (laughs) I think back on it. Why do you think that companies should be on mainnet and is that a push is that something that you guys are pushing towards i think that mainnet is definitely a piece of the picture for for people and so i think if you if you look at and so there's a a person at consensus a a visionary and great great speaker uh john walpert and he has a a few different great ways of, of being able to think about uh why mainnet is important and i think there's if you sort of look at the the two security properties of uh, of I guess secrecy and uh, the immutability, uh, blockchain and mainnet in particular is awesome for mainnet for immutability, and so being able to pin your data to to mainnet I think for organisations is is really the the gold standard that's that's there for being able to prove that you've got some sort of Merkle proof backing whatever hash you've written to, to the mainnet um, is is gold. And so I think that is really where organizations need to be moving towards. And then potentially there might be sort of uh, private databases, private consortium networks that they're using on to, to sort of get to that, that result that they want to pin back to the mainnet. But I think that there's definitely this mainnet first sort of world that we need to get to. And how we get there, I'm not sure. I think there's probably some of those convoluted uh, consortiums and, and private networks are, are part of the path that is, is still sort of sitting there for a lot of organizations. But I think getting to that mainnet sort of first is, is, is really important. The way that I see this increasingly now that, like, now that Cosmos is out and that we've got kind of a roadmap for Ethereum 2.0 and you know, we're starting to... to, to piece together how these blockchain networks will will look like sort of in their infrastructure. The way I see this is, you know, we'll, we'll have shards or side chains or whatever you want to call them, zones backed by a, a main chain. And before we thought, okay, there'll be these consortiums and these consortiums will, will, will operate independently. And there might be some interaction with um, a, a public chain but it wasn't quite clear how that was going to play out. Now that we have these sharded chains, or at least they're they're coming into existence, the idea that you could have a consortium running on a on a shard of a main chain uh, or as a side chain, and then that consortium just yeah, like you said, it 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 pegs back to the main chain at some point to establish. Uh, the ra- the veracity of a transaction or 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 a state, um, and then I think that extends to other consortiums. So you might have like a a company or a consortium on a shard, and then another company or another consortium on another shard, and then y- they can use the main chain to transact and interact with each other. Is this the future that you also envision uh, with regards to enterprise, or is this something that? Uh, we're missing here. I think I think that's pretty close to it. I think that enterprises will definitely have multiple different chains and multiple different yeah, multiple different chains that they're communicating with. 
having a client that helps make it easy to communicate to different chains is going to be absolutely essential. I think the spot at which the cross-chain communication happens uh, is, is going to be an interesting, interesting place for research and development over the next uh, months and years. And so how that uh, communication across side chains or across shards sort of happens, I think will be will be an interesting interesting topic. How much of that is at layer one? How much of it's at layer two? Um, and how things progress from maybe you start with a layer two solution and then and then uh, evolve out a layer one solution will be will be the the interesting place one of the interesting places for research to be happening. Have you guys given any thought to? how enterprise might also become stakeholders of of the main chain. So in Ethereum, like the beacon chain, you do envision a future where large companies or sets of companies working with Ethereum, you know, implementing side chains or shards are also stakeholders of a future Ethereum proof of stake network, or are they just sort of tagging along for the ride and you know, using this shared security Without without any specific stake, I'd love to see them a part of it. Um, I don't have a strong opinion on how that how that happens, but I, I think it makes sense. So if a, I, I would imagine that if the if staking is is as profitable as it's meant to be, it's probably going to be a good place for some of these larger enterprises to to keep some of their funds and and have as one of their investment strategies. And given that. And they're using it. It's also then giving them the, that sort of safety and reliability of the network. And so I can see them sort of wanting to do it for the, you know, just the straight financial reasons, but then also because it's protecting their their investments and their their assets as well. But also in terms of governance, I mean, you know, if they if they have stake in the network, they would also be able to vote on, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure how the future Ethereum governance is meant to look like, but. You know, presumably there's some governance mechanism in there that allows stakeholders to vote on proposals and this sort of thing. Do you think this is something that companies are going to want to interact with in the future? Yes, I'm not sure what the governance model looks like in, in an Ethereum world. Um, I'm not sure that stakeholders are directly going to be tied to getting voting rights on, on changes to the network. But I do imagine that uh, organizations are going to want to be able to influence the direction of, of the protocol. This episode of Epicenter is brought to you by Microsoft and the Azure Blockchain Workbench. Getting your blockchain from the whiteboard to production can be a big undertaking. And something as simple as connecting your blockchain to IoT devices or existing ERP systems is a project in itself. Well, the folks at Microsoft have you covered. You already know about the Azure Blockchain Workbench and how easy it makes bootstrapping your blockchain network pre-configured with all the cloud services you need for your enterprise app. Their new development kit is the IFTTT for blockchains. Suppose you want to collect data from someone in a remote location via SMS and have that data packaged in a transaction for your Hyperledger Fabric blockchain. The development kit allows you to build this integration in just a few steps in a simple drag and drop interface. Here's another great example. Perhaps you're an institution working with Ethereum and rely on CSV files sent by email. One click in the dev kit and you can parse these files and have the data embedded in transactions. Whatever you're working with, the dev kit can read, transform, and act on the data. To learn more and to build your first application in less than 30 minutes, visit aka.ms slash epicenter. And be sure to follow them on Twitter at msftblockchain.
We'd like to thank Microsoft and Azure for their support of Epicenter. So let's move on to Pantheon. Tell us what are some of the interesting features that Pantheon offers? Yep. So, uh, you know, to start with, it's a um, mainnet first client. And so I think uh, our initial release of, of Pantheon was uh, to have it running on mainnet, uh, to have it syncing with the, with the network and, and processing the latest blocks. And that's our, our first uh, commitment is to, to working on mainnet. Uh, then on top of that, we also think about uh, the enterprise Ethereum. And so uh, I think we might talk a little bit later about the enterprise Ethereum Alliance. And so uh, enterprise Ethereum is something that we take really seriously. And it talks about uh, three Ps when it's kind of really two Ps and a C. So the three Ps are uh, privacy, uh, permissioning, and uh, consensus mechanisms or performance. And so we, we offer, I think, really good answers to all three of those sorts of requirements. So we, we have a, a really good uh, system in place for, for permissioning and being able to control uh, who can join the network and who can submit transactions. So that's our, our permissioning sort of story. Uh, we've got some uh, good tools to help think about privacy. Um, and so being able to have a mix of sort of off-chain privacy and so the only thing that gets written to the chain and in an off-chain sort of privacy sense is a, a hash of a transaction that's happened between some subgroup of parties. Uh, so we've got that sort of support. And then we also sort of have tools and partnerships with uh, some of the zero-knowledge kind of tools. So there's the Aztec uh, sort of group have produced a really good sort of zero-knowledge solution. And so uh, there's a blog post which um, we can share probably in show notes uh, which talks about about how that works. Um, and then in terms of consensus mechanisms, uh, we've got a, a new consensus mechanism that we've produced that uh, that works really well as well for a consortium type environment. Okay, so let's let's dive into to these three Ps, um, starting with permissioning. Now, so just to preface, for the moment at least, privacy uh this privacy aspect this permissioning aspect and also the, the like being able to switch out consensus mechanism only works if you're deploying ethereum as a consortium chain it, it, these things don't work with the main chain that's right at the moment so our privacy solution we've designed to be able to work on the main chain if all of the people involved all the parties involved in the private transaction are running pantheon so that that quality is not quite there yet, but that's what the solution's been designed for. That's and interesting. So, yeah, as we as we sort of improve that, uh, we'll be we'll be working towards that. So at the moment, within that, the the challenge that we need to solve for is uh, what happens in the case of chain reorgs, and and how to handle that is is where the kind of the the, the challenge in that. It's interesting. Are you saying that then? A consortium of companies could deploy a smart contract to Ethereum, and if they're all using Pantheon, maybe if the smart contract only authorizes certain keys to send it transactions, I don't know if that's possible, but then you could have sort of a little permissioned private chain or private smart contract happening on the Ethereum main chain. So I think that's, so the vision is close to that, but slightly different. Um, and so uh, within that, that privacy sort of world, it would be, you would be able to, 
deploy a smart contract to the, the main chain. The only thing that the rest of the world would be able to see is a hash that there was a transaction that was sent to a pre-compiled smart contract. Um, and then the other Pantheon clients would be able to uh, interact with that pre-compiled smart contract. They'd be running the pre-compiled smart contract, would then be able to look up the transaction using the hash. If they're a party to the transaction, they would be able to then execute it and, and be able to participate in private transactions against that state. And so your, your first transaction would be deploying a smart contract, and then future transactions would be interacting with that smart contract. And so only participants in that uh, privacy group, is what we sort of call it, uh, would be able to, to see anything more than a hash of the transaction. Okay. Are any companies doing this right now on the mainnet? Not in the mainnet, no. Okay. So that's the that's the privacy side. So this is something you've implemented yep. on Pegasus and presumably works very well if you're you know if you're on a consortium chain and you know but perhaps you can also use it on the main chain. How does permissioning work? Yep. So the permissioning we we think about it in there's probably three different levels. Uh, so we have uh, some permissioning around our JSON RPC APIs. So being able to control which accounts are able to interact with which JSON RPC APIs. Uh, but that's that's very much around a specific node uh, that's an Ethereum client that's being deployed. Then we have sort of our, our node level permissioning. So the node level permissioning is being able to uh, have a, a whitelist of which uh, E nodes are able to connect to the network. And so that's managed via a, a smart contract. And so you're able to uh, restrict the which which nodes are, are able to join the network, and so uh, you, you, the peer-to-peer -peer network is not uh, broadcasting out to everyone in the world. You can't just have anyone join. You have to be on that whitelist of, of e-nodes to be able to join the network. And then the third level that we've got is account-level commissioning, and so this is, uh, I guess, kind of a the the most real in terms of the network. And so the account level permissioning is restricting which accounts can, I guess, having again a white list of accounts that are able to uh, submit transactions that are able to uh, do different types of transactions. So whether it uh, is an ETH transfer or a smart contract message that's being sent or deploying a new contract, those sorts of levels of granularity in our account level permissioning. Okay. Yeah, that that would make a lot of sense in in a consortium setting. You know, you obviously. You only want the members of the consortium to be able to access this, the, the blockchain, and then you might have other permission considerations uh, for the types of API calls that you know, each of the nodes can send to the network, and then also like accounts and, and things like that. I can see there's a lot of use cases around that. Exactly. And that, that uh, system that we've, we've built and designed is a um, smart contract-based approach. And so we've worked with the... Um, Enterprise Ethereum Alliance to sort of take what we've done and uh, work with the other organizations to make sure that it makes sense to have in a standard and set it up to be standardized, which then um, is done in such a way to give a real strong split between the enforcement of these uh, permissions, which is really well-defined, um, you know, well-defined interface, smart contract interface, and then the, the actual sort of management piece. We've sort of uh, kept a sort of se separation there of concerns, which gives that ability to 
uh, use a different governance model for your consortium network or, or sort of swap out what, what sort of uh, governance model makes sense for your, for your network. So moving on now to the third P or C, the consensus algorithm. So you guys are working on this uh, IBFT algorithm. Can you talk about that and describe maybe what types of use cases it's best suited for? Yep. Um, so the, the IBFT protocol, it's in the, uh, sort of has two bits of heritage to it. And so it's very much in the uh, PBFT family of consensus mechanisms. But then on Ethereum, it also has a, a bit of a clique kind of POA kind of uh, feel to it as well. And so if you kind of merge those two together, you end up with the, the IBFT family. And so there's a, a really sort of active research community around, uh, around the consensus mechanisms at the moment and doing a lot of uh, security research into the, where some of the failure modes might be from a, a, a computer science perspective, which often then get proven out with sort of real world failures as well. And so our uh, research and development team have helped us to produce the, the IBFT2 uh, algorithm that, that we've produced. Um, and it's it's really ideal for that kind of consortium or or private kind of uh, Ethereum network. Um, it's probably not going to be the the algorithm that's used uh, for for the the pr future proof of stake kind of world, but it is going to be the the thing that we're using uh, for those kind of private consortium networks. And it's sort of the idea there is it works great for some sort of range from four to to 30 sort of validator nodes in, in your network is, is the sort of golden sweet spot for, for that algorithm. So how is IBFT different from, say, Tendermint BFT, where Tendermint BFT can scale to more like 100 to 150 validators, I think? Yep, so I think it's, it's very much around the, uh, the recovery when there is a Byzantine fault. And so the, the IBFT algorithm, the time to recovery when there is a fault is, is smaller. And, and I think that's the, the key sort of win that's there. There's also some uh, other potential optimizations which are available to the IBFT family um, in terms of decreasing the number of phases that are needed in the, the happy kind of path. And those, that, that sort of optimization is not available for the, the Tendermint family. Okay, so you mentioned that IBFT probably won't be the algorithm that would be used for um, the future Ethereum proof of state network because obviously like 30 validators is probably too little. Um, but it is conceivable that IBFT would be used on side chains and then that IBFT side chain would then sort of commit to the main chain. Is that correct? Right. Yep. Okay. Are you seeing any specific types of applications in your dealings with enterprise that are particularly well suited for IBFT? Yeah, so it's the, the standard kind of, I guess, financial uh, DeFi sort of use cases are, are really sort of strong ones there. So the one of the, the key properties with, with IBFT is uh, the transaction finality. And so we can see that sort of uh, consortiums which are doing anything that's kind of financially based, being able to know that a transaction is final when it's written to the chain is, is pretty important. Right, because IBFT has finality. Yeah, that's right. Yep. 
So the uh, banks are a bit uncomfortable with the idea of the probabilistic finality of uh, that the proof of work offers. So moving back to Pantheon, what types of nodes do you support? Like do you do you full, full archival nodes, uh, full sync nodes? Yep. So at the moment, we're uh, a full archive node. Uh, in our recent sort of release uh, that we had, we we've added in fast sync, and so. Uh, fast sync is something that it takes a long time to implement, and uh, funnily enough, and uh, so so our fast sync is is there. Um, the bit of work that's currently underway is adding in uh, pruning, and so that will sort of move you from being that sort of full archive node to just being that sort of full node. Uh, and then I think the more sort of light client sort of uh, configurations are are in our future but uh, we're not there yet. So you mentioned uh, standardization and the work that you're doing with the Ethereum Enterprise Alliance. Can you expand on that and maybe give a status update on the EEA? Yep, so I think it's been a really busy, probably 18 months for the EEA. Uh, they, they went from uh, not having a client specification at all to they're at uh, version three was either has just been released, I think is the, the status of it. Um, and then they're, they're targeting uh, DevCon, DevCon 5 for a version 4 uh, release. And so they're, they're really iterating very fast on, on making sure that there is a top quality client specification there. And that's, that's the main place where I work, work with them. They also have another number of other sort of working groups uh, that are there. So there's a group that's uh, working on building out a test network, which is then going to perform the, the basis of a compliance uh, sort of testing suite. So the initial version of that test network is going to sort of help flush out some of the interoperability issues that there might be between some of the enterprise um, Ethereum clients. And then once they've got that sort of up and running, that's going to then form the basis of a certification program. And so the, the EEA is going, uh, working really, really hard as an organization and the, the client members to, to uh, ensure that uh, it's, it's adding value and making sure that we are producing uh, standards and specifications of Ethereum that work well for enterprise. So how important are these standards to enterprise and how do you reconcile? Because I mean, you guys are building a client that's both mainnet compatible, but also consortium chain compatible. How do you recon reconcile the needs of a permissionless uh, Ethereum world and the needs of a highly secured uh, permissioned uh, consortium chain? It's a good question. So I think it's one that I think I've seen other clients have different approaches to what we've got. So uh, I mentioned early on that we're, we're mainnet first and we take that as, as our, our priority. And so whenever we do something that is enterprise, our first goal is to try and do something that works well with mainnet and is compatible with the, the standard Ethereum. There, there can be features which that, that doesn't fit in and so that, that does happen from time to time. So when you look at the permissioned sort of network, maybe there, there might be a spot where an eNode URL moves from being straight IP address based to being DNS based, uh, because that's going to maybe work better for an enterprise context. Now that's gonna be a change which uh, breaks 
by running your Ethereum client in that mode, you're no longer mainnet compatible. And that's going to be a change which makes me uncomfortable, but we would probably probably make. And so I think it's that making sure that anytime we're doing something that makes our client have a mode which is non-mainnet compatible makes us feel uncomfortable, but it might be the right thing to do still is kind of the way that we, we play that, uh, that, that challenge there. In terms of the applications that companies are building and that enterprises in, interested in building, ha have you seen uh, any, any shift in the last couple of years towards some of the applications being built on mainnet or are companies still very interested in, you know, building their supply chain and, and, and the, like building out their internal processes and certifying their internal processes on, on Ethereum, which is something I think that a lot of enterprise were interested in a couple of years ago. What, what, what's the, what's the state of you know, the way enterprise are thinking about Ethereum and the applications that they can build there? I think it's, in the spot where we were a couple of years ago, people were interested in building the the private networks but not doing anything because they were still just interested. I think right now we're seeing some they were seeing some uptake in some of the consortium networks, but there's a lot of interest in doing mainnet. And so it's kind of they're they're not quite in the spot where, okay, yep, we're we're gonna commit to mainnet, but they are really interested in it and really thinking about, okay, how how is mainnet gonna fit into our strategy? How are we going to do it? So it's that sort of tipping point where I think in you know a year's time in two years time people really will be using mainnet in a in a serious way and how would they be using mainnet like what kind of applications uh will would they be using mainnet for because I mean a lot of the stuff happening on mainnet now is a lot of DeFi, and um, I think a lot of the infrastructure there is sort of supporting I would say like speculation around Ethereum and token transfers and decentralized exchanges and this sort of thing. What's, what are the interests of enterprise for using mainnet? So I think the DeFi kind of use case is pretty strong still. Um, and then I think it's, it's also then the using it as a certification spot for their, their private kind of consortium networks or their side chains pinning state back to, to mainnet uh, are probably the, the two spots where where there seems to be the most interest at the moment. So, but I think in Ethereum, the the sweet spot for Ethereum right now is kind of the that that DeFi, the tokenization of, of, of things is, tokenize all the things, I think is is sort of where we're at for for Ethereum. Not just where we're at, but I think it's where, where we're going to be for the, that sort of short to medium and perhaps even sort of longer sort of future. That, that DeFi use case is, is pretty strong. Can you talk about some of the specific things that maybe some of the companies that you've worked with or Consensus has worked with are, are doing? I start to stretch. So my, my, uh, my sweet spot is more on the, the actual protocol side itself and, and helping making sure that we're building the right things to support people. Uh, we are definitely seeing though some of the interesting use cases are out there. So there's... Um, Comgo is a project um, that that is using using Ethereum and and built on top of it, built in partnership with Consensus very closely, and so it's a, a commodities trading platform uh, and a consortium based network in the uh, in in Europe, and so that's that's sort of one of our our very successful uh, projects that that's there. 
Um, definitely seeing a lot of interest for, uh, again, a lot of the, the financial use cases. So I won't name names or name projects, but uh, the the interbank settlement uh, sort of space is, is quite interested in, in uh, using Ethereum to help make that work well. Um, that uh, anywhere where there's multiple sort of large organizations that don't quite trust each other uh, to or trust any one person to be the the centralization point is is where we're definitely seeing a, a large sort of interest for for uh pantheon and enterprise ethereum do you think that ethereum really does have the potential to scale at a point where it can support something as uh transaction volume intensive as uh, interbank settlements or do you think that companies and banks will con continue to use side chains uh, to, to do this? So I think the Ethereum 2.0 with the, the sort of sharding that, that's there on that roadmap um, is going to have that sort of scaling that, you know, a thousand X on top of on top of what you are doing on the, the current sort of Ethereum plus, and, and that's just by the straight sharding plus the, the smart things that you can do for, for changing how you process transactions and, and do things there. I think really does give that uh, that space to provide the scale. The the main net Ethereum as it is now does not does not provide it. But uh, moving forward to that uh, Ethereum two point future, I think there is a world where that works well. So, do you do you see a future where permission chains continue to exist, or like what is the point of of a permissions chain if, if Ethereum scales to some you know close to infinite level? I, I don't think uh, banks want to be making the details of their interbank settlement very visible. And so I think that it's it's more for the, I guess, the privacy side than the, the scaling side is is probably the, the spot where you're going to see the the side chains, the consortiums, the, the non-mainnet kind of chains out there. Okay, cool. So before we wrap up here, I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, Ethereum 2.0 or Serenity, uh, whatever we're calling it now. Can you give us a bit of an update on where things uh, stand at the moment with regards to Ethereum 2.0 and what is some of the work that you guys are doing on that front? Yep. So I can speak more to where we're at. It's hard to hard to know exactly where where Ethereum 2.0 is because it's hard to keep up. Um, but uh, the the bits that I can definitely see is uh, the there's the the three phases phase zero um, sort of starting off with the beacon chain uh, phase one sort of introducing the the sharding and then phase two with the the execution environment I think phase one phase zero is getting into a very good spot um, and so there's a number of, of test networks that are, that are out there at the moment. Uh, there's uh, sort of plans in place to, to work on how to get those interopping with each other and getting the sort of clients talking to each other and working together really well. Uh, there's a, a recent sort of announcement about trying to get a staking contract out for, for DevCon and then looking to, to get this sort of uh, released in early next year and getting like really a beacon chain running in a production environment early next year. And I think that... Uh, some of those timelines are aggressive. I think that there are great stakes in the ground that aren't just going to slide. 
as in, I think that they maybe maybe the date moves from like an early January to like a February, but it's not going to be like uh, we're not going to be sitting here at this time next year and saying, "Oh, what's happening with our our beacon chain?" I would be absolutely shocked if we didn't have a beacon chain running like very well by this time next year. Yeah, that's really encouraging to hear because the last time we talked about this on the podcast, I think. I mean, of course, Beacon Chain is one part of it, but you know there was this expectation that Ethereum 2.0 could take you know two to five years until it's ready. And maybe maybe that's still the case with all the other layers that need to be added. I'm going to ask you the same thing. I, I think I think I asked this to uh, Joe Lubin. You know, if Whatever Ethereum, Joe said is right. <laughs> <laughs> if Ethereum 2.0 does take so long to to bring into production. I think the estimates are somewhere around like two to four years or something like that until we're like you know ready ready for a production Ethereum 2.0 network. There are other blockchains out there that are doing similar things to what Ethereum 2.0 wants to achieve. So you know, Cosmos launched a couple of months ago, uh, and there was just this this big uh, like the first Cosmos event. Polkadot will presumably launch before that as well. What are your thoughts on Ethereum's sort of dominance as the predominant uh, DApp platform, and how that predom- like how Ethereum could potentially lose some of that predominance uh, if if it takes too long to to move into production, and these other chains are ready and you know, people can build on them. I think it's a real risk uh, for Ethereum and one that we need to take seriously. Um, I think that, that that said, I think that there is sort of that, that weight of the community already in Ethereum. I think that that's why, um, as well, Pegasus is taking a really strong two-phased sort of approach of really pushing hard into that enterprise sort of space. And so by going out into the enterprise and reaching out, particularly with our, our Java client, being able to reach out to the Java community, like most of them have hardly heard of blockchain. Maybe maybe with the... the uh, the new work of, of face, our friends at Facebook, everyone's going to know about blockchain now. But uh, I, I, I think that uh, I, I think that it's more about growing the community. And so uh, within that enterprise kind of context, there's no sort of issues with scaling. There's the well-known, well-established tool chains that are there for, for doing the smart contract development in, a, in Ethereum that uh, I think a, a really good story for us to be able to communicate with that enterprise community. And I think that, uh, so that's that's one direction that, that Pegasus is, is working in. And then also working very hard on that Ethereum 2.0 research, but also making sure that we are shipping software with Ethereum 2.0. And so I think making sure that we are building stuff that, that, that proves that the research is either either right or wrong, rather than, than keeping it as, as theoretical. So I think that those those two things are the the best things that we can be doing to make sure that uh, both Ethereum works well now and that the the future of Ethereum two or Serenity uh, sort of comes in the the right sort of timeliness. And are you guys working with the folks working on Ethereum one point X? Are you also interacting with that team? Yep, that's right. Yep. So uh, sort of. Uh, we had a number of people going along to to some of the the workshops and trying to to help bring that bring that forward to to have that sort of I guess bridging between you know that Ethereum one point one point zero and making sure that it continues to scale for long enough to 
to keep the the main net running well until Ethereum 2.0 comes. And can you give us an update on the progress there? Are you aware of what's going on on that front? So I think there's a bunch of really good proposals that are being worked through, um, which I don't think too many of them have made it into the form of EAPs yet. But that's sort of, you know, the the way forward is to go from from those sort of working through what is possible to producing the the EAPs, which can then be reviewed and, and implemented. So it's still in that sort of earlier phases of that. But I think it's probably going to be the things that uh, we will see in the, the hard forks that happen next year on the, the mainnet Ethereum clients or mainnet Ethereum network. Okay, cool. So uh, tell us where can people learn more about Pegasus and Pantheon and anything you want to plug at this point? So I think the, the best two places, um, the, the website is uh, pegasus.tech and uh, having a, a, a good look there. And then for probably an even even better spot is our, our GitHub. Um, so the, the github.com slash pegasuseng and pegasuseng slash Pantheon. And so we'll put URLs in ways that are easier to parse than listening to, to me set, spell them out. But uh, those those would be the two places to go. Um, and then if you're really kind of keen and, and interested in what's happening in the Beacon chain, um, the Pegasus Eng slash Artemis on, on GitHub is the, the place to go there. And are you guys hiring? Yeah, I think if there's uh, people that are uh, blockchain engineers, uh, people that, that write Java and like to, to uh, are interested in contributing to uh, the enterprise Ethereum client definitely would uh, love to have have a conversation. All right, Rob, thanks for joining me today and looking forward to seeing the developments on Pantheon. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a Google Home or Alexa device, you can tell it to listen to the latest episode of the Epicenter podcast. Go to epicenter.tv slash subscribe for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the newsletter so you get new episodes in your inbox as they're released. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show, and we're always happy to read them. So thanks so much, and we look forward to being back next week. <laughs>